Welcome to the Free Oakley Podcast. This is your host, Billy Johnson. All right, so it is Thursday night, November 3rd. We are in the throes of basically everything from a sports perspective. The whole landscape is filled right now. Tonight is Game 5 of the World Series. Phillies-Astros is 2-2. Right in the middle of the football season, we are in the early stages of the of the NHL and NBA. A lot going on there. But I want to focus on probably maybe my – I would say maybe my favorite sport of everything, but definitely probably the team that is most near and dear to my heart – you guys guessed it. That's the Providence Friars. College basketball is upon us. And who else is here to talk college basketball? The one and only Russ Wilk rejoins the Free Oakley podcast. Russ, welcome back. Thanks, Bill. It's an honor to be back. We're, we're just a few days away. Um, appreciate other people might not be focused on college basketball in November and December, but that's why we're here to, to prep everyone and get them ready to go. Um, and we'll probably have to do a January episode where we kind of tell everyone what's been happening over the last few months while baseball and football and other things uh, finish up. So um, we'll, we'll keep you posted. We'll have it covered um, and excited to do kind of a Biggie's preview here. Yeah. And, and well, so this is your fourth appearance on the on the Freeoki podcast. You are you are tied with Joe Young for for the lead. And uh, so the next year, you know, after this one, your next January one will uh, will induct you into the five timers club. For, I was gonna say, do I get? Any, is there any free any free Oakley merch for me to get for for being a frequent guest? I mean, I got a rep pod. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll we'll work on that. We'll, we'll, that'll be a takeaway for the, for the free Oakley producer. Um, maybe we'll send you a pair of God Jam God Pumas. That might be the, the timers club. <laughs> I'll get your shoe size. Um, but yeah, you, you hit on it, man. This is the uh, the the Big East preview. Uh, the Big East non conference play or all of the uh, college basketball non-conference play starts next week providence is actually on tuesday uh everyone knows that i'm a i'm a diehard pc guy and for those of you listening russ is a diehard georgetown fan georgetown alum uh, and, and your previous podcast we bro- we've broken down providences we broke down the rankings we talked about ken ken palm we talked about uh, the ncw t- tournament we went through we went all the way to the providence run in the sweet 16 and I can't believe that we're already here, right? It's already it's already November, and, and the new season's about to kick off. And the thing with this season, which is there's there's I think two very big themes that we're going to discuss in detail here within the Big East is is the coaching changes, major major happenings at, at the at the coaching level within the Big East, and then it's also the the, the transfer portal has never been crazier. I would say, or volatile, right? Like right now, it, it's almost even hard to keep track of, of who's coming back and what these teams are going to look like. The whole conference is, is going to look wildly different. I mean, when we get to Providence, we basically lost all five starters. And normally in a season where you lose all five starters, you thought you'd have been toast, right? But we've actually replaced these guys with, with power conference experienced guys. So, so the transfer portal these days is basically free agency in in college in college sports and it's going to be uh something we're gonna have to dive into but let's start with the coaching changes right this was something that is and and it's i think probably more impactful for the big east than any other conference um because at the top of the list in terms of the coaching changes jay wright leaves villanova uh after 20 20 years 20 plus maybe 20 and change it was in that range and uh two national championships uh, love him or hate him, Villanova, pretty much the crown jewel of the of the Big East Conference. 
those two national titles are, are obviously gigantic. And Jay Wright gets replaced with Kyle Neptune, who uh, was a longtime Jay Wright assistant at Nova, then just spent last year as the head coach of Fordham. So you've got Jay Wright out, Kyle Neptune in. That's Villanova. Butler, Laval Jordan, is out. Thad Mata is in. Thad Mata uh, had spent 13 years at Ohio State. A lot of success there. He comes back. Seton Hall, Kevin Willard is out. Shaheen Holloway is in. Talk about a big get for and a splashy get for Seton Hall. Not only did Seton Hall, um, not only did Shaheen what worked his magic at St. Peter's, transforming them into an Elite Eight run, but this guy is a Seton Hall alum. Uh, a little bit before your time, but he played when I was at Providence, and the guy was an absolute stud back back in the day. So one of their better guys over the years to play for for the Pirates. So Shaheen Holloway is back. That's probably maybe the best get for the for the conference. Now uh, for Xavier, Travis Steele is out after a few years at Xavier, and come look who comes back: Sean Miller, who was at Xavier for five years, then went and did twelve at Arizona. And Sean Miller, after I think some recruiting issues at Arizona, now comes back to Xavier. So, you know, everyone else is the same, but those four schools have coaching changes and none other than, than Jay Wright. So where do you want to start, Russ? How do you want to sift through this? Yeah, I, I, you have to start with Jay Wright. Although I will say, if you had told me when we finished the pod last year that there would be four Big East coaching changes and Patrick Ewing wasn't one of them, <laughs> uh, I'd be pretty surprised. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to Georgetown. But no, really, really for Jay Wright. And, and the reality is this feels like such a pivotal year for the new Big East. Um, and that, that seems it might sound a little bit dramatic, but I, I, th- I think the reality is Villanova has really carried this conference once you know the split happened and you know the Syracuse you know split and and things like that you have this kind of new basketball only forget the football we're going to be focused on basketball it's really been Nova now look they're look Providence makes the Sweet 16 last year you know I think uh, Xavier and Creighton have had respectable teams but you know for a conference that was probably counting on Georgetown and St. John's to help carry the weight it really has been Nova Um, and so with that coaching change, if Nova is not going to be a national title threat going forward, and I'm not suggesting that, but, you know, it's certainly a question people are asking, um, where does that leave the Big East? Is it going to be Xavier? Is it going to be Creighton? Are other teams, can Georgetown figure it out? Are other teams going to fill the void? Because if Nova is not a, a national title threat and you're really, you're priding yourself on calling yourself a power conference, but if you don't really have teams that are threats to make deep runs in March, you know, make consistent Sweet 16s, make Elite Eights, um, it, it lessens the whole power of the conference. Um, and for a team, you know, for a conference that has a new TV deal, you know, that's due to get renegotiated in a couple of years for Fox Sports, um, postseason performance is, is pretty critical. Um, and, and with that, you know, I'm not going to call it a changing of the guard, but I think even if Jay Wright was still there, there would have been a lot of people that were maybe picking Creighton to, to win the Big East this year anyway. So the, the, there's a golden opportunity for Creighton to win the Big East. Um, and it really does beg the question of what is the Big East if Nova is not kind of like a blue blood that they've really established over the last decade. So it, it's really fascinating to watch from that perspective. Um, I, I will say, I do seem to be, I'm 
probably pretty bullish on Kyle Neptune. Uh, you know, Jay Wright disciple kept the entire recruiting class um, in order. There wasn't mass departures. There wasn't other changes to the coaching staff. So it was the best attempt to kind of extend it. Um, and even in his one season in Fordham, I think Fordham had more wins in the athletic, uh, in the Atlantic 10 last year than they had had in the last, you know, decade. I mean, just the most number of wins um, in the last decade and their defensive efficiency was somehow like top 50. Um, so you saw the, the imprints of a, a solid coach developing as someone who a Georgetown fan was, you know, casually checking to see what other coaching options would have been out there. Um, Neptune would have been on my very short list in a world where we had moved on from Patrick Ewing could have been a great fit for Georgetown. Nova, you know, did not hesitate to lock him up once, once Jay Wright said he's done. So I'm bullish on, on Kyle Neptune, but I, I do think it's a tough go for them and, and we can get to it in the team preview. Um, it, it's not a perfect roster by any stretch of the imagination. So they, they might be challenged a little bit. What happened with Jay Wright? Do we, is there anything other than, Hey, I, I spent 20 years here. Now I'm looking for a new challenge. Cause you think about like college basketball, right? Some of these guys are lifers. Like look at Jim Beheim. He's been at, at Syracuse since the eighties. And when you get into something where it's a college basketball community and you win, and it's not, it's not like the guy, you know, the guy had a, a basically could have stayed as long as he wanted to and to be beloved figure on campus you know, has won, he's got two recent national titles, could have asked for any amount of money, gets recruits. He's not even that old. I think he's 60. Is he like around there? He's not like he's, like he's, Bayheim's getting. Yeah, up he's there. not. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was a young coach. I mean, he's obviously older, but yeah, he's not, he's not 75, right? He, right. he has time. So is there anything, am I, is, am I, am I too conspiracy theory here? Was there something behind the scenes that happened with Jay Wright? Has we heard any smoke? anywhere about this or was this just Jay White saying, Hey, I'm uh, I need a break. No. And look, there's nothing. I, look, I, I've read nothing to suggest anything nefarious. I, I think if anything, there's been speculation that with the change in college basketball landscape, is it something you want to deal with if you don't have to, right? Like, again, we talked about the transfer portal, but having to constantly re-recruit your team, right? Learning the ins and outs of the name image and licensing rules. And basically having to now, when you recruit players, talk about the package of NIL that you're going to put together as opposed to just talking about basketball. I mean, there, there's some speculation that, that, you know, Roy Williams, you know, retires, coach K retires, that it's just like, if you, if you really loved college basketball for what it was, do you want to deal with all of those extra things? If you don't have to, that's really where the speculation has been. Um, and, and I think it's a fair, it's an interesting question. Again, I, I am pro NIL. These players should absolutely get paid. Um, I have no problem with the transfer portal. We can talk about it. Um, but I, I think as a coach who was doing this for a very long time and was very successful and certainly, you know, did not need the money at this point, it was probably a reevaluation of like, do I really want to operate like this? Um, and Villanova has always been kind of unique in that, you know, they've been able to convince players to redshirt and stay and build and be three, four year players. You're not going to see a lot of three and four year players anymore at one school. Um, so, I, I, you know, it could have been he saw the changing landscape and just didn't want to engage. Um, th that's where the speculation has been. But again, it is just that speculation. You know, where do I walk you through the Providence turnover in, in terms of who we got back? We're talking about guys, you know, you know, that were only freshmen last year at power conferences coming over versus guys that are now playing in their fifth year. So it, it's uh, on top of just standard run of the mill recruiting. 
So it, it is all over the place. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back to Nova um, when we run through kind of where we're going to, you know, slot these teams from a uh, an order perspective or kind of a, a rough order. It's always hard to do this, right? So early in the season, if injuries, you guys see how guys develop, make leaps year over year, but we're going to, you know, kind of give you guys a rundown of what we think of the Big East this year. Uh, okay, let's go to, to, to two guys that are coming back to the Big East, legacy coaches, Thad Mata and Sean Miller. Dad Mata comes back to Butler, um, who who had a really long long run at Ohio State, right? He was the coach at the Ohio State made the national championship game with Greg Oden. Yeah, they uh, they beat Georgetown in the Final Four that year. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> like I, I think I think you really talk about the the strength of the coaching roster now in the Big East, right? Like Thad Mata again, Final Four, Sean Miller. Um, you know, consistent NCAA tournament appearances, you know, very, you know, top 10 teams with Arizona. And we can talk about Shaheen Holloway as a wild card, um, but clearly established something at St. Peter's um, and would have been one of the names that was in very high demand for any available coaching job in college basketball. Um, And just really good timing for Seton Hall that that's kind of when Kevin Willard uh, chooses to move on to Maryland, kind of opens it up at a perfect opportunity for Shaheen Holloway, where someone was going to open, offer him a better job. Um, the fact that Seton Hall opens up at kind of that that perfect moment in time um, for, for Holloway, it's it's a strong coaching conference. Um, you know, we can talk about some of the the weaker coaches, um, but when we go through our rankings, I think you're going to see that I tend to skew towards the the more established coaches at this point because. When we get to the transfer portal, you know, every year now, like you're just going to have an entirely new roster. And that puts so much more pressure on the coaching ability to take five, six, seven guys who did not play together last year um, and meld them into a cohesive unit um, really quickly. Um, So I am going to lean on the the teams that I think have really kind of just better coaching resumes at this point, um, as opposed to overthinking the roster a little bit too much and really just kind of trusting these well established good coaches who have experience at these schools who have either coached these schools or played at these schools um, to, to figure it out. Um, so the, 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 the level is stepping up in the big East. Um, the, the, the coaching quality really is, is top notch and it, and it is great for the conference to see. All right. So let's, let's move there then let's, let's break down kind of where we put these teams from a, from a ranking perspective. And you and I were discussing this, offline was I think we could look at the Big East Conference heading into this year as a kind of a top middle and bottom where you've got a few clear standouts in, in the top of the conference where they should be standouts and you've got a lot of parity I think in the um, in, and probably like six or seven or maybe like six, five or six teams a lot of parity there and then you're going to have your clear kind of um, you know back of the bus guys uh Top tier. Am I thinking about this right? It's it's Creighton Nova Xavier in the top tier. Yeah, I mean that that's that that's where that's where I am. Um, I think everyone will probably have Creighton and Nova in the top. I personally am bullish on Xavier. You might see other people try to argue UConn or even Providence um, belong in that bucket, or you know, is the top tier more like four teams? I'm I'm personally going to keep it at those three. Um, and there, I think there's unique arguments for each one, uh, Creighton, you know, a team that, you know, gave Kansas the, you know, the, the, you know, the eventual natural national champion, really everything it could handle in the round of, of 32, um, and essentially returns everyone, 
um, and adds um, Baylor Shireman. Uh, Providence fans will remember that name, someone that they got to see in person um, in the NCAA tournament and notwithstanding what really wasn't a great game in the NCAA tournament. So maybe Providence fans might look at that addition as really no big deal. Um, <laughs> he really put on quite a performance last year. Um, and, you know, if you look at the, the transfer rankings was certainly a, a top five or top 10 available name that had really every school um, kind of uh, recruiting him. And he's really just such a perfect fit for what Creighton does on offense with, you know, uh, Kalkbrenner as the big man um, diving to the basket and then you just surround him with space. Um, so it really is a perfect fit from that perspective. To me, the question with Creighton, it, it really comes down to defense. Um, historically, you would argue Doug McDermott and Creighton have not had great defensive teams. Last year was really the exception. They were phenomenal on the defensive end. They really kind of adjusted their defensive strategy to play to Kalkbrenner's strengths as a rim protector, really play drop coverage on pick and rolls, funnel everything into the middle, defend the three-point line, run people off the three-point line, and dare them to challenge a seven-foot guy at the rim. Um, if that defensive success continues and Shireman really gives you the offensive boost you need with everyone else coming back, um, they are the favorites. Um, they were the number one pick um, in the Big East coaches poll. Um, they are the highest ranked team in the Big East um, in the preseason polls. Um, and that's why, again, it's such a unique opportunity for Creighton um, to capitalize on this Jay Wright move um, and, and really stake claim um, and, and, and win the Big East. It, it is there for the taking for them. Yeah, uh, Greg McDermott kind of had a, a big opportunity to to make a name for himself. Or he, his teams have always been good; they're always tough to play. Going into Nebraska is, is is always is always difficult. His first year in the Big East was at 2014, when they had uh, Doug McDermott, his son. That was probably their best year, I think, with him in the Big East. Knocked out by Providence in the uh, mm -hmm. in the Big East championship. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a big big opportunity for, for Greg McDermott. Um, Shireman. Yeah. Shireman was, was the best player on the South Dakota state Jackrabbit team that, that Providence saw in the first round. Uh, I absolutely remember him. I was sitting four rows off the court, got to see him up, up close and personal. Shireman to me was not impressive only cause you know, he, he felt like the old guy in the pickup run. Like he was, it wasn't as athletic as, as I was expecting a little herky jerky old manny type of feel to him. Not as athletic as, uh, you know, as I was, I was expecting, but, um, definitely that he was the guy we were looking out for. Cause he had such a big pedigree after, after his, his season last year. Yeah. And, and I think that's really, I might, I might've said, um, Doug McDermott earlier. Yes. Greg McDermott. Um, so you get for playing for your dad as a, as a, as a, hmm. as a player coach relationship, but no, I knew that was going to be your Providence reaction. I think the reality is I think everyone was talking up Shireman before that game. And so he was the number one focus of a very good Providence defense. I do think it's going to look a little bit different with four other biggies caliber players around him uh, to, to give him space. Um, so be careful about judging him off the one game sample. Um, but it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch and see how he fits with that team. Yeah, and Kalkbrenner is a is a real deal, real deal dude. He's gonna be a any team that doesn't have a ton of size is gonna have their hands full with him. So okay. uh, I agree with you there. And what did Creighton ninth? Are they ninth in the top twenty five? Yeah, they're yeah they're in that range. Was, I saw ninth in one, maybe eleventh in the other, but like really right in that range, a, a real top ten team um, that that will be a threat. Okay, so number two, I think, is probably Nova. 
right? If we're thinking about the the team, you know, behind Creighton. Yeah, I think I think it's Nova with an asterisk, and that asterisk is really around the health of Cam Whitmore. Um, so Cam Whitmore, for those of you who don't know, um, Big East preseason freshman of the year, uh, McDonald's All American. Um, I believe led our on the the American uh, FIBA under 19 team to a gold medal um, over the summer and, and was their leading scorer um, and potential projected top five pick. Um, he has a sprained thumb. Um, I think I just saw a press conference today, an announcement where Neptune said there there's no timetable for his return um, to be reevaluated, and and everything seems to hinge on him and maybe. The reality is they were set to underachieve because that's not necessarily fair for a freshman to begin with. Um, but if he's really going to be out an extended period of time, and maybe the answer is they, they struggle in the non-conference and start to click by the time Big East rolls around as he gets back. But with Justin Moore coming off the Achilles injury and Cam Whitmore uh, out as well, there's definitely a lot of questions on the roster. Um, I, I think Villanova gets the respect um, for, for what they've done historically. It's definitely a less talented roster than they've had in the past, right? You lose Colin Gillespie, you lose Jermaine Samuels, definite changing of the guard. You have Kyle Neptune as a new coach, so questions there. And you're missing what was expected to be your best player. Now, sometimes that works out for a team in that Whitmore misses the first month, but that gives an opportunity for the Brandon Slaters, um, other people, Eric Dixon, other people to kind of get an opportunity to get an expanded role. And then when Whitmore comes back, it's even better. But, but that's definitely a huge question mark that's going to hang over Nova. And maybe you're better off getting them and you beat them now before Whitmore's ready. And one of those where they might not look great in the non-conference schedule. And then they're right where you expect them to be when the Big East rolls around. Yeah, they're ranked top 25 heading into the season behind Creighton. I think they're about 16. Yeah. I, Caleb Daniels is back. Uh, I liked Brandon Slater actually last year from, from what I saw out of him, but I, I don't know that, you know, I think they're getting by a lot on, on respect right now. Um, and they've earned it, but I think it's hard to pencil in a guy one year at Fordham. Now he's, now he's making, you know, going from the a 10 to, to jump into the big East and expected to, to be a, be a, you know, a top tier team. And a guy like, you know, tearing your Achilles is, 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 not easy to bounce back from right so you've got their best player justin moore coming back from a torn achilles cam Whitmore, i i think yeah you got your two top two top two best guys coming off injuries not ready for the for the you know or whitmore not being ready for the start of the season is, is a lot to ask i i could see any scenario of play where where these guys all gel neptune's ready to, to step right in and, and carry on in the in the j Wright tradition and they're in the top two in the big East, or they could even win the big East or do they have a down year? Is this a learning curve for Neptune? Do some of these guys, you know, need to need to get healthy and can't win more. Can't win more is probably a projected lottery pick here. Right. So, you know, how many, oh, yeah. how many guys are in the big East are, are, are going to be lottery picks. So the talent is there. Um, I, I could, I could see them taking a, a step back. I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a tough, it's an in- interesting spot for them. I don't know if they have that point guard this year. I, I just, I just don't know. So again, a huge question mark for them. I, I agree that the respect of the program puts them in this tier for now, but it, it, it could go, it could go bad. All right. So, so next up Xavier has some good momentum, right? They won the NIT championship last year after just missing out on the NCAA tournament. They have a nice uh, NIT run and then they bring in Sean Miller. What do you, what do you, 
what are you thinking about Xavier for this year? Yeah, and with all due respect to Travis Steele, this just feels like a massive upgrade, right? Xavier was always that team for the last couple of years that just seemed to underachieve its talent level, right? And every preseason they'd be projected to do high. And honestly, even December and January would roll around and they're projected to make the NCAA tournament. And then there's just a crazy swoon. Um, I think Sean Miller will, will figure that out. And again, you're talking about, we're gonna, as we move our way down, we're going to talk about teams that have seven new players. Xavier's returning a lot of its core. Um, Jack Nunge returns. You know, th- there, is, there is talent on this roster. Uh, Fremantle is back. And w- when you, if you take that talent that showed it had something that was coming together at the end of the season, winning the, pre- the, you know, winning the NIT, and you add a coach of Sean Miller's caliber, notwithstanding all of the shady recruiting stuff on the side, that's not going to matter once the, you know, the ball is tossed at the beginning of the game. You can see the path where this team is, is dangerous in, in Sean Miller's first year. Okay. Is that, is that it you think for the uh, kind of the top, top echelon of the big East? Yeah. I mean, again, look, you, you could make a UConn and Providence argument and those are the two teams we're going to talk about next. And we, and we can talk about why I, I don't have them in those uh, tiers. That's kind of my, like, if you ask me who's going to win the big East, it feels like it's one of those three. Um, again, the other two teams are, are UConn and Providence, but that, that feels like a, a nice break in my opinion, where, I would be very surprised if those three teams didn't make the NCAA tournament. That's maybe the way that I would think about it, where there's certainly scenarios for other teams where it just doesn't happen. I would be really surprised if those three teams are not in the NCAA tournament. All right, let's give the people what they want. Let's break down the 2022-2023 Providence Friars. <laughs> well, I'm going to yield I'm going to yield I'm going to yield to you here um, as much prep work as I've done. There's no way I, I know more about this Providence basketball team than you. So I, I yield the floor to you. Yeah. Well, so, so this is going to be a very interesting one because, you know, again, like I said, Nova, I could see them winning the big East or maybe taking a step back. Providence, I think could be anywhere from winning the big East to finishing ninth. And that just has to do with the, the, the major overhaul um, in, in terms of the total roster. And, you know, so first of all, let, let's, let's very quickly recap. Uh, 27 and six last year for Providence first big East regular season title. They go to the sweet 16 for the first time since 1997 Edwin's Naismith coach of the year hitting on all cylinders and they lost basically their starting five. So how are they even in, in consideration to even stay in the top half of the big East after losing basically their starters, they lost Nate Watson, Al Durham, AJ Reeves, Noel Horkler and Justin Mania. They're bringing back from last year's team, Jared Bynum, who was a point guard. He was the Big East second team, even though he kind of came off the bench and was the Big East sixth man of the year. Jared Bynum, probably their, you know, their, their most accomplished guy coming back from last year's team. You have Ed Croswell coming back. TBD, if he's a starter long-term, I, I mean, I think he's definitely a starter early in the season. Ed did um, a couple years at LaSalle and then did uh, two years at Providence, and now this is his last year of eligibility. Um, Ed was my guy, if you remember from, from last year. Ed plays the way I, you know he gets down and dirty. He offensive rebounds. He had some huge, huge moments um, in the NCAA tournament, kind of kept them alive in the Kansas game when it looked like that, you know, they were, it, it could have gotten out of control. Providence was, was up by one against Kansas in the Sweet 16 with five minutes left. Uh, Ed had a lot to do with that. Croswell. 
uh, will play kind of the four five. Um, he is, his strength is rebounding. And so having him back really need him to make a leap, right? I think a lot of this is going to be how, how well do these guys, you know, make a leap. Ed did not, Croswell did not really start much last year at all. Came off the bench, gave them a spark, did a lot of dirty work, got the other guys kind of fired up. Let's see how he does now in kind of a more uh, enhanced role. The other two guys coming back, don't know what we're going to get. Alan Breed was kind of like the third third point guard last year. And then you had Raf- Rafael Castro, who was a red-shirted freshman who didn't play at all last year, but 6'11 guy. And it's one of the few guys on the, on the roster that has some size. Now, that's only four, four guys, right? So where are the rest of the guys coming from? I mean, Ed Cooley is now kind of – might be the, the, poster, the f- poster boy, the face of the transfer portal. And he's done – I mean, listen to this, like this, this turnover via the transfer portal, they bring in Bryce Hopkins, who is, uh, came from Kentucky. And with the weirdest wrinkle to me is that he was only a freshman at Kentucky. He was a true freshman that then can transfer and basically not sit out a year and is eligible for this year. He was a, a the 33rd ranked recruit by ESPN in 2021. That's the highest ESPN rank guy that we've had since Chris Dunn and Ricky Lito, which was um, back in 2012. Uh, so that was uh, Lito was ranked 21, Dunn was ranked 23. You know, we all, you know, Chris Dunn kind of transformed our program to and, and put them on a kind of a national platform. Now you got Bryce Hopkins coming in. This guy went to Kentucky, didn't play a ton because, you know, very crowded, talented Kentucky roster, but had some moments. He had a big game against LSU. He comes in, I think he's probably the key to the to I think how far PC can go. If this is he gonna play like in a in an elite college basketball player, he's you know the 33rd ranked overall recruit, still very young. Uh, you know, Hopkins, I think, is gonna be the key to 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 any sort of real big time success for them. The next guy they bring into the transfer reporter, Devin Carter, also just a freshman, played one year at South Carolina last year, point guard. Number 94, so he's another top ESPN 100 guy. So you're getting guys with actual real pedigree. Like if you would have walked into the season with the number 33rd and the number 94 guy, you'd be looking at like a top 10 recruiting class and getting a lot of buzz around it. So PC has two guys that were on the national radar uh, going in, into college. And they're coming out of two major schools, Kentucky and South Carolina. And you know they struck gold with Manaya from South Carolina. So I, I think Devin Carter is going to be a real big piece of this team. And they're really young too. So I think, you know, what Ed's building here, Ed's kind of taking this in a really interesting direction by almost like recruiting through the transfer portal. Cause these guys aren't like, you know, 22, 23 year old, fifth year guys that they're getting through the transfer portal. These guys are really true sophomores. And now there's still a a few more names here. Noah Locke, this guy's a fifth, fifth year guy. He did three years at Florida, one year at Louisville, but back in 2018, he was ESPN number number 73. I looked at his numbers; it's pretty interesting. He's basically 10 points a game. He's six four guard, 10 points a game every every year he was he was there. So he should probably be lined up as like the starting two guard. Again, pretty good pedigree. You know, played three years at Florida, one year at Louisville. Another interesting one: it was a redshirt freshman that they they took from UConn who you know, it's very kind of rare. Sometimes you get these, these intra conference 
uh, transfers. You have one of these, I think, from Georgetown. Um, but uh, Corey Floyd comes over. He's another guard. I don't think he's you know very much um, an offensive threat, more of a defensive guy. But he's he's another guard. You know, transferring over from UConn. But again, he's pretty young. He's only a red. Uh, you know, he's really a redshirt sophomore. Last guy they got coming in is a, a fifth-year guy, Clifton Moore. It, two years at Indiana, didn't get much burn there, then went to LaSalle for two years. So, you know, Ed Cooley got Croswell from LaSalle. Now he's going back to LaSalle for Clifton Moore, who's a 6'11 center, um, can, can rebound. So your front court is really, you know, your, your four or five should be a combo of Croswell, Clifton Moore, maybe see what this Castro kid will give you. And then Hopkins, if they're going a little bit more small ball to play, to play forward, they've got a couple freshmen coming in, Jaden Pierre and Quante Berry, who are both guards. I don't know if we'll see much from Berry, but Pierre is expected to, to contribute. And they've got a recruit for next year coming in, like another ESPN guy, ESPN number 76. So Ed's recruiting, right? He's getting top hundred guys. He's getting top 100 guys through the transfer portal who are also pretty young, and he's doing his thing. Ed's had a lot of success. Noah Horkler was a transfer, a fifth-year guy from uh, uh, North Florida from last year. Al Durham, you know, we saw what he did at Providence last year. He was a guy who played four years at Indiana. So Ed is, is a combination of recruiting, uh, developing guys through the transfer portal, and some, some fifth-year add-ons. So. Uh, it's very interesting to, to, to kind of, you know, total, totally reboot, but I think what we've seen, like, you know, Ed's had a good run here, you know, Ed, Ed you know, can get a lot out of a, out of a mishmash, uh, roster, uh, guys kind of thrown together. And, and, you know, this is kind of you know, what, what Ed does, right. You know, I, I don't think Ed is, is your, your, you know, quintessential X's and O's guys. Ed is the guy that brings in character people, gets people to play together, and he's got some talent here. So, you know, I, you know, I'm looking forward to the season. Yeah, and just just a few points to add as as you kind of rip through the roster there. This ranking does really feel like a, a Cooley culture ranking because I, I think you're right. All of the pedigree for those guys is there, and the reality is we have no idea how this team is going to look. Right? right, like you, you mentioned the range of outcomes. And I think people are betting on Cooley having success with transfers um, and probably having more of a game plan on how to integrate a whole bunch of new players because he's been doing it for a couple of years now. So he almost feels ahead of the curve in that regard. Um, and I think that's what's giving people confidence to rank Providence in the middle of the Big East, despite all of these unknowns. The other thing I'll highlight, and you kind of hit on it, is there's almost this market inefficiency in the transfer portal of not just chasing fifth year guys, yeah, right? Finding guys in the portal who have only been at a school for one year. So yes, you're dealing with a new person coming in, but you're gonna get more than one season of benefit out of some of these guys, right? So I think there's a, a good balance there of yes, of course, you're gonna have some fifth year guys you're trying to win right now, but also using those spots to try to get guys who only have used one year of eligibility so that it mitigates the churn that you're going to have to go through in the future if you can get those guys to stay. Um, and really the question I want to ask you, and it's a question I'm contemplating as a Georgetown fan who, believe it or not, actually had more turnover than what you just mentioned. Mm. Does it change your experience as a fan that you literally have not seen any of these guys play, right? I, I think the beauty of college basketball and what I think we used to love was watching a guy develop over four years, right? They come in as a freshman, 
maybe they don't play and then they start, then they're on the bench as a sophomore and then maybe they crack the rotation as a junior. And then as a senior, they're the star of your team. And you felt like you went along the journey with them. And now Providence is not alone in this. Again, Georgetown is worse and other teams have this. Does, Does it change your experience as a fan that you don't, you will not recognize these guys on the first day, right? Like you're going to be looking and be like, Oh, what number is he wearing? Who's that? Who's that? Yeah. Does it, does it matter to you? I don't necessarily think it matters. I, I, I will say it's an interesting point. Cause I, when I think about like my all time favorite friars, uh, you know, Bryce cotton, is that, is that like the top of my list? And that's a guy hundred percent was like, didn't play much early. Then you get a little bit of a glimpse of him and like, you know, he breaks out his junior year. He's like, oh, this guy could be pretty good. And it has like an absolute monster senior year where they win a Big East title. And he scores like 36 points in an NCAA tournament game. And you're like, this guy is like unbelievable. One of my all-time favorite guys. LaDante Henton was like a hand-picked Cooley guy from Michigan. You know, just that guy, all-time great friar. Um, I, 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 but the add-on guys, like, you know, they kind of put them over the edge, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. to have, I, I, I see what you're saying. I, my, I would also add to this, having older guys is, is such a big deal. Like, you know, it, it, it enhances the, the team, like the team, I think, because last year, probably the average age of, the, of Providence starters was like 22, 23 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and like having guys that have been in battles and guys are a little bit smarter with the ball. You know, some of the most, you know, college basketball is tough to watch at times with just the level of, of play or, or turnovers that you, you can you can see with with some of these guys. But, uh, you know, the older guys kind of give a little bit more, I think, attitude, a little more 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 cohesion if, if they're sprinkled in the right way. This is the first year like I, I, I want to see like to me, I'm looking at like Hopkins and Carter. I'm like hoping these guys can be like long term, long term priors. Yeah. And again, to be clear, pro transfer portal, pro NIL players should have these rights. I, I, I do not want the question to be interpreted as, a, as something negative about the transfer portal. I think players should have the same right coaches have because they can leave schools whenever they want. Um, and these players are getting monetized and they're not getting a cut. So I am pro all of that. But when you take a step back as a fan, it's just sometimes a little bit hard because it takes away some aspect of what you enjoyed about it. But there's still so many other positives about college basketball. It's just something I was contemplating as I kind of go through this and you go team by team again. Seton Hall is six or seven new guys. Talk about Providence. We can talk about Georgetown. Just as of, you know, trying to follow one of these teams, the amount of work it takes to keep up with who these guys are um, and then try to figure out, like, you don't have that connection to them because you didn't watch them grow, basically. They come in as finished products. It's better for the basketball side of it. It just changes the fan experience, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But, again, I just thought it was an interesting point. Yeah, I think, and maybe I've I've got a little different perspective because I think Ed's done it right. I think Cooley's mm-hmm. been been one of the main guys who really be successful in the transfer portal, which has just made the game experience better for us as Providence fans. Like the dunk yeah. is, was going wild last year. Last year was one of the best seasons that we ever had. So Cooley's done it the right way. If you're if you're in a situation where none of these guys are gelling. Um, they're only, you know, they're, they're coming in and out and, you know, they're, they're, they're shuffling around. I could, I could see it being, yeah, be, being a bit tough to follow, but, um, but yeah, man, that's, that's the, uh, the Friar scouting report for at least the start of the year. I, I like what they've done actually too, with the non-conference, t- uh, schedule feels lightish to me from like years past. Um, I'm wondering if a part of that is 
Ed knows he's got his hands full, like trying to figure out how these guys are going to gel together. And I need a little bit more cupcakes than I'm, than I'm used to, uh, to try to, to, to try to build some wins here. And also does Ed feel like maybe they've gotten a little bit more, like they've clawed to some respectable level where, um, the win total will help them less. So like maybe the quality wins or, cause if you look at their non-conference wins from last year, you had a lot of, a lot of real upper echelon teams from those those mid-major conferences that actually played in the preseason. So this year they've got Ryder, Northeastern, Stonehill. Stonehill was Cooley's alma mater who just came up to, to Division I. Uh, Merrimack, Columbia, Manhattan, and Albany. So the, nobody really seems threatening at all in that bunch. The tough games that you have this year is in a preseason tourney you have Miami, um, who who is a who is a pretty good run last year, but I think they've had a lot of turnover as well. That's you know Jim Laranega's Miami team, and then the winner or loser of Maryland versus St. Louis. So that's in a preseason tournament at Mohegan Sun, and then in the and then in the Big Twelve Big East challenge, you get TCU at TCU, and then you've got the standard URI game. So there's a couple tough ones on there, but I. I could see the way that this is laid out, you know, nine and two could be possible if you're going into the big East uh, or maybe like an eight and three, I, I could see coming out of here. So I think they're, they're lined up well to get some early success and hopefully, you know, kick it into uh kick it into gear for the big East tournament, uh, big East regular season. Yeah. And I, I think that's the reality. And it's a, it's a nice reminder that what we see these teams do in November will not be what these teams are in February. And the turnover makes that just more apparent. And look, you could argue it's prudent to schedule like that to protect the team as you're gelling. I do think, again, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the advanced metrics last year and, and how that weighs on the NCAA tournament committee. Those games do count towards those. So I, I do think you need to be careful um, with, with how you schedule. I do think Miami is going to be good this year. Uh, they had some wins okay. out of the transfer portal. Uh, Nigel Pack um, yeah. in particular was a big one. Um, and uh, TCU is supposed to be very good. They returned everyone as well from a team um, that, that had a good tournament run as well. Um, I believe they what they lost in the second round to Arizona, that was an overtime, right? So again, I think those two teams are going to be good, but I think it's, it's an interesting proposition as a coach trying to fill out a schedule when you know you have so many new guys. You don't want to overdo it and take five losses against strong competition, but then you're going to get judged in March. So I, we don't have to do too, you know, as, as deep of a dive into the rest of this middle tier, but in this other middle mm-hmm. tier, we have UConn, Seton Hall, Butler. I might throw St. John's in there because I feel like they have a little bit of a ceiling, even though I think the, the issue with St. John's is they really haven't shown much these last couple seasons under Mike Anderson. But that's where I kind of look at this next crew in like the Yukon Butler St. John's territory. Yeah, I'll spend two minutes on Yukon because I think they're the most interesting. And I think other rankings might have them in the top tier. To me, this it kind of feels like a pretty critical season for for Hurley, right? You know, they, they've certainly established themselves as a, a pretty consistent top 25 team, um, good regular seasons in the Big East. And then when you zoom out, well, they haven't made the Big East tournament finals yet right? They, they haven't even made the Big East tournament finals and he hasn't won a game in the Big East tournament, right? As lost as a seven seed to Maryland and then lost as a five seed. What was that? To New Mexico state. You were probably there for that one. Oh, is that that so, Teddy, Teddy ball game went off for. Yeah. So it, it does feel like, and again, they've also had a ton of turnover, right? You lose RJ Cole, um, Martin, Martin, Isaiah Whaley, 
Anakoka Koku transferred yeah. to Georgetown. He wasn't as big a piece, but they have a bunch of turnover. I have no doubt that Hurley will have them be a competent and good regular season team. And I don't think anyone's going to care until they show that they can do it in March. And he has them play really aggressive, hard nosed defense. And then when it really comes time to score last year, it just felt like when it really, when the rubber met the road, it was just clear out for RJ Cole and hope he figures it out. Um, I know Sonogo is the biggest player of the year. That's preseason player of the year. That's deserved. But again, I think he's, no one's going to care. If you're a UConn fan, I'm not sure you're going to care until you figure out what you're doing. And, you know, do you have a breakthrough in the Big East tournament? And do you have a breakthrough in the NCAA tournament? If you have another one of those seasons where you're in and out of the polls, you finish fourth or fifth in the Big East, you lose in the Big East semis, and then you lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I don't think the fans are going to be happy with that. So I, I think that's an interesting thing to watch. Um, but again, they reloaded through the transfer portal as well. So for all the names they lost, they added a whole bunch of guys from other major programs that were in demand. And it's, it's going to be a question of can, can Hurley find a way to in, invigorate the offense without losing the defensive core that made them so good. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. Their offense was Cole last year, Cole or bust in that, in that tournament game. Um, Hurley feud has feuded with Ed, the Providence Nation, not a big Danny Hurley fan. He was at URI. Uh, you go back to his um, his Seton Hall days as well. So he got thrown uh, out. Got thrown out of the Nova game last year, if you remember that. Oh yeah, and got thrown out of the Nova game. They're they're kind of like the you know Nova is the team that everyone like like no one likes to you know they're the big brother feels like of the conference at least for for us at PC UConn is just is the cousin that nobody likes. Yeah. Again, I'm not, I I think it's good for the big East that they're back. Um, I kind of hate that they're back and already, you know, better than big East and and Hurley has definitely built something. Um, But, but they're waiting to take that next step. And I think it's a fair question to see if, if, is this the team to do it? And if not this team, then, then when, when does it happen for, for, for UConn? Uh, Seton Hall too, right? A lot of, a lot of overhaul, uh, Shaheen Holloway has brought some guy. He brought a guy in from St. Peter's, um, yep. first year for him. Uh, this could be all over the road too. I don't really know what to expect from these guys. Yeah. And look, and there's a few pieces that remained. Um, I've always thought Tyree Samuel should be better than he is. Maybe Holloway gets it out of him. Um, and Defo was the, was it three time the defensive player of the year, um, at St. Peter's. So there's definitely pieces again. I think they're getting, it's kind of crazy to say, but they're getting preseason poll respect from Holloway as a coach, I think. And that what he did at St. Peter's, people are just assuming that he can take that system um, and, and instill it in Seton Hall. But again, you're, you've got seven or eight guys coming together um, with a new coach who's facing different challenges at Seton Hall than he ever had to face at St. Peter's. Um, and it's going to be a huge question mark. It would not surprise me if they in a week beat Xavier and lose to Marquette, right? Like yeah. it's just going to be inconsistent. It's going to be up and down. It's his first season. There's again, there's pieces with question marks and I'm not sure it's, it's really tough to go deeper than that on, on these teams when you have so many new players and throw in a new coach on top of it. I do like the Holloway hire as, as a, if you're a Seton Hall alum, right? Like he, the guy was oh, like, slam dunk. This slam is, dunk. 
this is like uh providence hiring god sham god to be the coach like some badass 90s point guard who is kind of the you know, the face of that generation of you know 90s new york city new jersey point guards um so you know maybe the younger generation doesn't know as much as shaheen holloway but you know this guy was was total beast back in uh back in the day um anything on butler you want to mention no i mean I, again i i think it's a it's a fad mata bet yeah. uh, i've seen them listed as a dark horse somewhere again another team that added three or four transfers um manny bates jumps out he was i believe defensive player of the year in the acc two years ago but he hasn't played in two years he's had some injuries um ali ali was a good transfer that they added so again adding a bunch of pieces adding an experienced coach more questions than answers again a new system mata's had success at baller so that seems like an easier transition back but again you're just talking about new rosters um and new coaches combined in what's starting to feel like a deep big east again we could debate about how good the top tier is with with creighton maybe being the you know the only team that's in the top 15 or top 20 when the season ends but you know you're on to team seven already and all of these teams probably fashion themselves as being viable for the ncaa tournament right so um you know that that'll be a debate maybe it lands more at six teams for the big east realistically um but butler is gonna surprise some people okay so we talked about the coaches and you even said when i look at where i want to slot these teams let's look at the coaching you know the experience the pedigree good coaches quote unquote um now we're in the the eight nine ten eleven teams that are left and now we're, we're talking about coaches on the hot seat right let's start with st john's i want to spend a minute there because you know a lot of the free oakley listeners we've got a lot of st john's fans out there they're you know they really should be they are new york city's team you know I, you know you're a long island guy like myself right those st john's is a big deal um when's the last time you, you think they won a ncaa tournament game just won a game in the tournament Oof, I know that Mullen team made the tournament, but they lost in the first four. I mean, you could be, you could be early 2000s. 2000. I would guess like, yeah. 2000 was the last time St. John's won a tournament game. That was Mike, the Mike Jarvis years. Yeah. Um, which is sad, right? You think about New York city basketball, the, the origins of the big East, the, you know, St. John's Georgetown, um, one of the really core, when you think about Big East basketball, you know, St. John's is part of that conversation. That's part of the history. That's part of the, you know, really now it's really just nostalgia. So what happened to St. John's, you know, I mean, and you know, the Mullen thing was like, I think when things went completely off the tracks, um, cause he was a complete disaster, but let's, let's look at the Anderson situation. This is year four for Mike Anderson, uh, so still relatively early, right? He's building, but they've had a lot of turnover too. Like we haven't really seen um, much consistency out of that roster. I think when I look, I think these guys are going to be reliant on a couple of those transfers, right? They bring back Posh Alexander. Now Posh, Posh I think is, is a baller. I mean, I think he's been up and down, but the game that I went, I went to Karnaseka last year for PC at St. John's and Posh had, 29 points, 12 assists, and like four or five rebounds. I mean, that guy was like, it was like a beast. Um, and the and then you have to get me up to speed on these guys, but um, yeah, Corbello, right, is a transfer yep. from Illinois. Yep. Yeah. So uh, again, maybe I'm I'm a little bit bearish on St. John's just because 
when I watch Georgetown and St. John's play and when I watch St. John's play other teams, it just feels disorganized, right? I'm not seeing a team that has a real planner is maximizing its talent. I mean, Mike Anderson is famous for the Arkansas kind of Nolan Richardson, 40 minutes from hell pedigree. So they press and want to, you know, push the ball more than the average team, but it just seems like chaos, honestly. Um, And they have not been able to shoot. Like they they do not have enough three point shooters on the team. Um, Andre Curbelo was a a highly rated recruit. Um, Two years at Illinois, great as a freshman, struggled last year as a sophomore, um, Long Island Lutheran guy, shout out Lou High, oh, okay. um, transferring back to St. John's, but he was like a sub 30% three point shooter. And so my question is, that does I like Posh Alexander? He's a, does a Posh Alexander, Andre Curbelo backcourt make any sense? I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't know if you can have two non shooters on the court um, in today's game. Um, I'm, I'm just not sure how they complement each other. Again, it just feels like a little bit disorganized and you lose Champagne, who was clearly, you know, the best player in the Mike Anderson era. Um, they did add David Jones, uh, another um, in-conference transfer. He was great for DePaul last yeah. year, but again, now, so what he's, a, he needs the ball in his hands and he's going to play small forward when he's probably a shooting guard. Um, so uh, again, I, I'm skeptical. They, they seem to be consistently ranked in Big East preseason polls, like going back years, like, is this the year, St. John's breaks through the talent is there. They should make the jump and it doesn't happen. I think Mike Anderson's a, a decent coach. I mean, he certainly has a track record and really, I think it's a longstanding streak of not finishing below 500, but he was always a weird hire for St. John's, right? He was certainly not the first choice. There were, I think it was Hurley or Bobby Hurley. Uh, yeah. They went to Porter Moser. They went to, um, did they go to the Vermont coach? Like th- there were names and names that declined the St. John's job. And then you ended up with, with Mike Anderson um, freshly off getting fired um, in the SEC with no ties to the Northeast or the Big East. And it, it just hasn't happened. Um, I, I think he's personally on the hot seat. If it, if it craters and they don't make the Big East, sorry, and they don't make the NCAA tournament again, you would probably think this is your last year of Posh Alexander at St. John's. And I don't, I don't know where you see the, the future there, or maybe this is the year it clicks. I, I don't know. I am skeptical. Other rankings will have them in that middle tier. I, I need to see it first. I feel like I've seen I'm, Wheeler. I thought was actually pretty decent. He's gone. Um, mm-hmm. I think they, I've seen some flashes here and there at a Soriano, very big dude. Yeah. Um, and you got Kita too. Right. So they've got, they've got some size. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It's like, how, how do they click? I think it's interesting the the Anderson situation. Uh, he did get a six year extension before last season, so he's still. This is the start of five more years of the last five years of his contract. Um, fun fact, I did mention to you was the uh, president of St. John's is uh, Brian Shanley, father uh, father Brian Shanley was the president of Providence for 15 years. Uh, from 2005 to 2020 and he left pc then took the st john's job uh, in 2021 he had huge focus on 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 sports like pc as a campus went on kind of a big renaissance and a lot of development into facilities and buildings and on the school and obviously you know we saw a national title in hockey um and we saw you know a, a few good years of, of ed cooley here i think 
they're going to want to see something. I think he, he can see that there is a benefit to, you know, getting St. John's back on the map. So we'll see if uh, Mike Anderson makes it through these next uh, five years. Um, last three teams here. Do, do you want to close with G town? Do you want me to go into G town now? When do you want the, yeah, four? Let's, get it, let's, let's get it over with. <laughs> yeah. um, look, it's, it's, it's interesting for Georgetown Look, to some extent, again, it, to me, it was it was just truly shocking that that they did not fire Patrick Ewing. I understand how complicated that would have been. Um, I think I said this phrase last time that you know, oh, when nineteen should transcend uh, whatever ties uh, Georgetown has to Patrick Ewing. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, oh, when nineteen is not enough. When you give him a new contract, that would have meant that you would have had to buy out four years. Um, so he stays. I will say from that moment. They had a better offseason than I would have expected. I kind of assumed that they would struggle to get any players who would want to play there thinking it's a lame duck year, and they would struggle to fill out the coaching staff after he fired his assistants. They were able to get some names. Um, Kevin Nickelberry um, has a lot of D.C. connections and was an assistant at LSU. LSU, yeah. Um, he, he was the uh, replacement head coach when Will Wade got suspended at the end of the year. Um, so he has come back, and he already brought some players with him. Uh, Pat Baldwin senior um you know pat baldwin jr went to milwaukee uh, to play for his dad and then on to the nba pat baldwin senior was subsequently fired you know getting an experienced head coach to be on your bench can't be a bad thing and look they got names in the transfer portal brandon murray um from lsu was consider- and he's a baltimore guy so local guy coming home was you know a top 10 you know name in the transfer portal and georgetown got him kudis wahab coming back to Georgetown after transferring last year, you know, transfers from Georgetown to Maryland and now comes back to Georgetown, gives them some viability in the center, a Coca Coke coming from UConn. Um, Jay Heath is still waiting to see whether his waiver gets processed, which is crazy to think about five days before the season started. He has been at Boston college and Arizona state. So on the surface, the roster is definitely better than it was last year. And I'm not sure any of it's going to matter if Patrick Ewing can't coach defense. Um, This team was so abysmal on the defensive end last year to the point that you can't possibly just blame the players. Like, don't get me wrong. They clearly lacked Big East talent. All of the players who transferred from Georgetown to other schools did not transfer up or even transfer laterally to other Big East schools. They definitely had to take steps down to continue their college basketball career. I think the exception might be Colin Holloway, who ended up at Tulane which is a decent program. Um, but again, we're not talking, you know, Georgetown guys going to other power conferences. Don Carey did go to Maryland, but you're, you're really pushing it, right? Um, plenty of those guys um, had to transfer down to continue their basketball career. So there was certainly a lack of talent, but you also can't tell me that Georgetown maximized that talent last year. Um, and, and it's really hard as a fan because once you accept 0-19 and you don't fire your coach, I don't know how to define success for this season, right? If they go six and 14 and, you know, and they finish ninth, are we really going to say, wow, they won six more beast games than last year. That's a step in the right direction. I, I don't know what the, bar, once you accept 0 and 19, I don't know what the bar is for you to, to be fired at this point. I mean, the only way I could think about it is if, like, if it's another, if it's a three win, four win Big East season and, you know, your last place again, he's got to be gone. But I, I think it's really hard to wrap your head around um, what is success and what is tolerable and what is progress 
when you're starting from zero wins. What do we what do we think is the issue, right? So it's he's got all new staff. He all no his whole assistant coach coaching staff got rebooted, right? Brought in some real people. Is this is the is it a talent thing? Is it a coaching thing? Is it a combination of both? Like what happened? How did they win the, win the? I mean, they won the Big East tournament, but was that just a fluky COVID year type of thing, which was no indication? I mean, I guess they followed that up with an zero and nineteen season. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, again, you look back on that one week where everything kind of clicked, and look, there were signs that they were playing better going into the Big East tournament, and then you kind of catch a break with the Gillespie injury for Nova, and that kind of opened up that path for them. And it wasn't the best Big East, and it was a COVID year, and the garden was empty, right? And it just all kind of clicked, and they played they played lights-out defense for a week, and we have not seen that lights-out defense anywhere else. To me, it's, you know, they've almost been the, the opposite side of the transfers. They have been unable to keep their good players, right? We can go back to Akinjo and McClung and Mac, you know, Josh yeah. LeBlanc, you know, you know, you know, and then Cutis leaving. I, I know he came back, but they've been unable to keep their players. I, I don't know if it's a miscommunication with the players and what they're expecting. I mean, even just this week. So Dante Harris was penciled in to be in the point guard battle. He actually was the Big East most outstanding player two years ago in that tournament as a freshman. Struggles last year. And now this week it's coming out that he's away from the team for personal reasons. Mm. And, you know, there's chatter on the boards that they're unsure he's going to play for them this year. And that just, it just speaks to the, is that, I, I don't know enough about the personal situations to say, Hey, that's Patrick Ewing's fault, but it just keeps happening, right? The transfers happen. They can't make it through a season. Um, and honestly on the defensive end, they're lost, right? I, I think he's running a defensive system that worked, for the NBA in mid nineties when there was not this pace and space yeah. and everyone collapses in the paint and they just give up a ton of threes teams rain threes on Georgetown. Is that going to change? I don't know. I think for me, what'll be interesting to see is so Kevin Nickelberry was an assistant at LSU LSU switched every single screen, just a completely different defensive system than what Georgetown has ever done. And that's really kind of the modern way to handle all these teams that shoot a ton of threes is that if you don't have to help anywhere because you're just switching screens, so your, your defense doesn't allow paint touches because you're really just switching everything and you're forcing college players to go one-on-one -on -one and beat a guy off the dribble, which is not their strength. This is not the NBA. You know, you don't, you don't end up giving up as many threes. It's a Will Georgetown's defense look like that? Or if they're still running the same schemes – then the question is, well, it's just Ewing stubborn and doesn't listen to his staff, right? You know, he brought in the new staff because he made it clear that he needed help in recruiting. He has not admitted that anything is wrong with his coaching style, mm -hmm. right? There is no self-reflection or acknowledgement that his X's and O's aren't working, right? He is, you know, and it's, it's frustrating as a fan base to just kind of, he just blames the players pretty consistently. We had a good game plan. The players didn't execute. Uh, we had a lack of talent. I need help with recruiting. Um, and you got to look in the mirror and when your defense is 200th or wherever we landed last year, you can blame the players all you want, but you have to take some responsibility. You, you hear a little bit of it, but it just doesn't feel like he is willing to admit that he might be part of the problem. Um, and until you realize you're part of the problem, I don't know how you solve it. So again, it, it's a weird place to be as Georgetown fans. I don't think there's any doubt they have more talent. Would it surprise me if they're seventh in the big East? No. Hmm. 
their preseason poll 10th for a reason, only ahead of DePaul, because there's just so much uncertainty around the program. Um, and until they go out and do it, they're going to be doubted. I always thought like it's it's always such mixed reviews, I think, when you have like a real superstar take over as coach at any at any sport, whether it be baseball, hockey, football, um, basketball. When you're like a real star, I don't know if you totally appreciate, I don't know, and just purely thinking out, talking out loud here, was that how guys have to grind to, to work hard and, and, and to be successful that aren't totally naturally at, at a, at a different level. Like Ewing was a, a absolute different level college basketball player, you know, top 50 greatest NBA guy. I mean, the guy's like a, like a basketball legend, you know, for him then to come in at the college level. And, and I, I think it's, I think it's tough. Like he's just not like a guy like cool got Ed Cooley played like D two basketball, you know, how, how does a guy like Ed Cooley achieve? Whereas as, as Ewing can literally show you nothing. Yeah, and it's tough. I will say, I, I, I don't think it's for lack of effort, right? He is he is pounding the pavement on the recruiting trail. Like there, there is always a photo of him in the high school gym. Where I think that was probably the original concern, which is like, is this guy gonna get on a bus or get on a plane and go to the Peach Jam? Right? He's trying. Um, I think it, the the real answer is Ed Cooley was at Fairfield right before he got to Providence, yeah. right? Now, Ewing was a basketball coach, but it was an NBA assistant coach. And I think the intricacies of running a college basketball program are a lot more than just the X's and O's. And Ewing has struggled on all of those things, not to mention that there's an X and O's kind of disconnect between how he used to play the game and how he would defend things and how he would envision things versus how modern offenses are attacking. That's why I think it's both of those things kind of happening together. But again, I, it's not working. I'm, I'm hesitant to say it's, I, I really don't think it's that lack of effort thing, which was a fair question. I do think it's the, he was never an assistant in college. Mm-hmm. He was never a head coach in college. And the responsibilities of running a college program, he's just not the, he, I don't want to say he's not connecting with the players, but they don't want to stay and something's got to give. Um, and, you know, we had you, – you rambled off, what, five new players for Providence? Yeah. Georgetown has nine. They have nine. I, I, mean, oh, I can't man. even name them all. I can't I, – I have a decent idea of what school they, they all used to play for, but the assuming Dante Harris does not play this year, the only player that really played any amount of minutes last year that is on this team is Ryan Matumbo, um, the Kembe's son, and he's penciled in at best to be the backup five. So you're talking a brand new starting five, wow, really brand a brand bench. new top eight. You're talking about a brand new top eight um, with Matumbo maybe getting 10 minutes a game. Now, again, all decent pedigrees, all seems reasonable on paper. No idea. <laughs> I'm going to be learning their numbers on, on Tuesday when they play Coppin State. I'm going to be like, oh, that's that guy. Or, though that's that number. And it's just, it's just crazy. Um, but, again, I, I, there, there is more talent. Um, so I, I'm going to say it bold prediction. They win a big East game. I'm oh not God. committing to more than that. I'm, I'm not right. committing to more than that. I know. Uh, and before we wrap up here, where's the fan base with, with Ewing? Is it like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's back. Or is it like, Oh, all right, let's, let's see how this year goes. Or are we like, are we up in arms yet? Are we like, are we lot, are we sending letters to the school? Like, where are we? Yeah, it's, it almost feels like we're past the point of no return with the fan base, if we're being honest. Like, 
there's people who've just checked out of the program, right? Like, and I think that's the reality is that, you know, if you talk to the diehards, there's, there's the range, right? There's the anti-Ewing, I can't believe you didn't fire that guy. Like, he's got to go. You're going to have people who just think Patrick Ewing's a god because maybe you became a Georgetown fan in the 80s and you can't disassociate the player from the coach. I think I'm in the middle where I think you can simultaneously appreciate what he did for this program and acknowledge that it's just not working. But I think the reality is, is that most of the fan base is just like out, right? Like they're not going to watch the games. They're not going to talk about it. The message boards are quiet. The reality is there's not going to be a home advantage. They're playing in a cavernous NBA arena that they have no chance of filling. They're giving away tickets to the, to the home opener on Tuesday. Oh, man. Tickets are free. Tickets are free. If you want to go to the game as a, you know, like, like I, I just, I don't know how, how that works, right? Like the only way to reinvigorate this fan base is going to be like real material wins, um, you know, against teams that are top 25, right? Like it needs, it needs, it needs a jolt. Um, they, they squandered any of the goodwill that they got from that Big East tourney run. There was actually excitement on campus last year. Students were able to go to games for the first time. You're the defending right. Big East champions. And then you lose at home to Dartmouth to start the season. And it's pretty much done from there. So the fan base is, 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 is thinning. That's the only way to describe it. it there's just no reason. Like, I think you offered me Big East tournament tickets last year for the Georgetown game. I was like, I'm not staying up till midnight to watch this, right? Like even as a diehard fan, I will watch every game but I'm not going to commit to watching them live. I'll watch them when I watch them. I'm going to DVR them. I am not going to disrupt my life to watch a four and 16 big East team. I'll take, I'll, I'm going to watch it because I'm a basketball addict and I love the university and I love college basketball. So I'm going to follow it, but I'm not going to let it control my life. Like, and that's, if that's where I am, <laughs> lesser fans are out. Lesser fans are out. <laughs> well said, my friend. I think that my question was going to be, uh, you know, on a weeknight weekend or, you know, Thursday, Friday night playing St. John's at the garden, or they're playing at the rock on a Saturday evening. Am I going to go? Am I going to go? And I, I think you've answered, I think you've answered that. Um, yeah. It's tough. It's a tough spot again, hopeful because the talent is undoubtedly better uh, skeptical until shown otherwise. Oof. Well, that's uh, that sounds rough, man. It's, it's a tough end. It's a tough end. Let, let, let's pick yeah. it up. Um, look, I, I think it's a good year for the Big East, right? Like, I, again, we we spent a lot of time maybe, you know, really going in depth, but I think it's a deep conference, right? Like, there's a real path with the exception of maybe DePaul, who I just, I don't see it. Um, you could make an argument that any of the other teams, if everything breaks right, they're dangerous on any given night. Um, and that depth uh, will benefit the entire conference. And again, I think it's an exciting time whenever you have, really these kind of big storylines about like Nova and Creighton and Providence trying to build off what they did last year. Um, all the new coaches there, there's a lot of positive storylines. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that the big East conference does well in this non-conference play builds buzz. So that when we're start, when we're having the pre big East regular season pod in January, you have a lot of teams with really strong profiles that can only help each other. Yeah. And I think the only ones we really didn't cover were, uh, Marquette and Shaka, uh, I think they were going to be a little too young this year to to make any do any real damage. Although they yeah, did go I mean, to the tournament last year, 
Yeah, you, you go to the tournament last year kind of out of nowhere, um, and then you lose Justin Lewis and Daryl Morsell, um, and they were not active in the transfer portal. Um, so I'm a little skeptical there. feels like some reversion, um, but Shaka did a great job last year, so it's possible. Yeah, and then uh, the perennial doorman of the Big East is DePaul, who we don't really expect much from. Um, th- that's just a... That's a tough tough spot there. I you being in Chicago, you think they that they could recruit and get some guys to come in and um I don't think they've made the tournament since 2004 was what I Yeah, I mean look, it's a, it's a it's a two man team that lost the two players. I I don't, yeah. I don't know how else to say it other than Javon Freeman Liberty and then David Jones both transfer. I don't think Stubblefield was a bad coach last year. Again, I think he showed signs that he kind of got it. Um, but for a team that struggled last year to then just lose your top two players and then have one of them even transfer in conference, it just feels like a little too much to overcome. Russ, I think we did it top to bottom. We did it. That's a deep dive right there, my friend. Um, yeah. Might want to listen to this one in a few stages. Bear with I, us. But I was going to say. to cover everything to prep you. Is this a two-parter? Do I have to re- release this free Oakley? You, as a... you might have to. You might have to cut a commercial in the middle. <laughs> Brief. We tried. We, we tried. We tried. Yeah, you might have to listen to this this pod at two uh, x. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. when we have you back to to uh, we'll check back in on Providence, Georgetown, and the and the whole Big East scenario. Uh, we'll get you the uh, your five timers gift. All right, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. All right, brother. See you, man. Daniela, you said all those things I wouldn't have dared. As I hung on every word, I swear I could have been easier on you. Daniela, I spent all those nights just.